Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Katie Martin. Today we're looking at Sweden, which is undergoing something of an identity crisis as the party that has held sway for decades faces potential defeat at the ballot box. Patricia Nilsson speaks to Richard Milne, the FT's Nordics correspondent, about what has gone wrong for the Swedish Social Democrats and who are their most serious challengers. Richard, can you give us a picture of the political makeup of Sweden? Who are the main parties and how are they faring in the polls ahead of elections on the 9th of September? The main party in Swedish politics, really the party that dominated Swedish politics for the last century, is the Social Democrats. They've won every election since 1917. But the opinion polls suggest that they're only going to get about 25% this time round, which would be their lowest score in more than 100 years. So you would then expect the centre-right opposition to do well, but they're not doing nearly as well as you'd think. The moderates, they're the main centre-right conservative party, are only scoring about 17% in recent polls, which would be an absolute disaster for them. So instead, actually, the two big winners are the parties at the two extremes of the political spectrum. First, you've got the Sweden Democrats. They're a populist, anti-immigration, radical right party. They're on 20% in the polls. That would put them in second place, give them a kingmaker role in between the centre-left bloc and the centre-right blocs. No other party will touch them because the Sweden Democrats have neo-Nazi roots. But I think you may see some melting in that position because the arithmetics of forming a government are just going to be very, very difficult. And finally, the other big winner is on the other end of the spectrum. That's the ex-communist party known as the left party now. They're an explicitly anti-business party and their potential influence on any future left-wing government has got a lot of executives very worried. Swedes seem to be losing confidence in some of the cornerstones of the famous Swedish welfare state. What's behind this unease? Well, that's right. For 18, 90 years, Sweden has had this extremely generous welfare state known as Folkehemet, the people's home. It was completely synonymous with the Social Democrats as well. But there's been a number of things, I think, that have combined to create this unease. In recent years, mostly under centre-right governments, Sweden has actually become the world leader in having privately owned schools and hospitals and care homes. At the same time, the school results have fallen dramatically. So Sweden has gone from really being one of the world's best to being very mediocre. There are longer queues in healthcare, and it has added up to a sort of profound sense of malaise. In Vorgorda, which is the small town in central Sweden I went to to report on for the magazine, several people said to me, you know, we Swedes pay very high taxes and we wonder whether we're really getting what we should for that money. And that leads them then to look at parties maybe outside the mainstream of politics. And what about the Swedish economy? How is it doing The Swedish economy is doing pretty well. In fact, it rebounded stronger than any other Western economy from the financial crisis. That was in large part because it wasn't as badly hit. Sweden had its own economic financial crisis in the 1990s. So, you know, it wasn't such a big event as it was in the US, the UK and Ireland in 2008-9. That said, there are some questions about GDP per capita because Sweden is one of those rare 
European countries whose population is increasing to a large extent down to immigration. And I think one of the issues has been that the Social Democrats have been able to get no traction at all in the election from the pretty decent economic performance. And instead, you're seeing a debate that's been very much framed around traditional right-wing messages like immigration and law and order. You mentioned immigration. Sweden has taken in very high levels of migrants compared to other European countries. And how has this affected society? It's a really interesting question, I think, because in some ways, the average Swede probably doesn't see so much. The immigrants are often in the main cities, Stockholm and Gothenburg, in suburbs that are a long way out of town. And so the way that most Swedes see immigrants is the talk on TV of a lot of the problems that there are in these suburbs. There have been a lot of shootings. There have been a lot of burnt out cars, arson attacks. There have even been hand grenades in a lot of these suburbs. And that's added up to this sort of sense of insecurity and a sense that Sweden perhaps is changing. And, you know, that's something that the Sweden Democrats are quick to exploit. And, you know, they've really grown from their base in southern Sweden, where it was maybe the arrival point for immigrants, really to become a national party. You mentioned how shootings are making people feel like the country is changing. But how serious is this recent crime wave? I think it depends which way round you look at it. By international standards, Sweden still does pretty well. The murder rates, shooting rates are still well below many countries. But it's by Swedish standards that it's pretty shocking. It's almost daily there's a report of a shooting or a burnt out car or some kind of violence in one of the main Swedish cities. And in fact, I think people have almost become numb to it, particularly in Malmo, which is in southern Sweden, where the Sweden Democrats have their stronghold. And talking to some professors, it's almost like the violence in Malmo has been written off. But, you know, internationally, you're still talking about pretty low levels. I think in each of the three biggest cities, you're talking about deaths from shootings that have risen from, you know, naught to two over the previous five years to now we're talking about seven to ten a year or something. But that's a big issue. You mentioned earlier how the Social Democrats have struggled to keep their relatively good economic performance on the agenda. And you wrote a piece the other day on Twitter bots that support the far-right Sweden Democrats and are very critical of the ruling Social Democrats. What kind of role have these Twitter bots played leading up to the election? Well, I think it's a really interesting question. I think the Swedish authorities have been fairly groundbreaking in that they're trying to almost in real time provide their population with information about this potential for misinformation in the election campaign. And so they talked about Twitter bots. I think they would say that while the scale has shot up, the number of bots active doubled from July to August, I think they'd still say it's not a really sort of serious attempt. And these bots also play on fears about migration and law and order. But, you know, I mean, there are enough stories out there about that. In fact, I think probably the bleakest warning of the entire campaign came from the head of the centre-right moderates party talking to the FT, saying that Sweden was in this crisis as grave as it was in the 1990s. And there were questions about whether politics could do anything to solve the problems. He got criticised for talking Sweden down and talking in an almost un-Swedish way. 
what's your opinion on that? Is Sweden in a crisis as serious as it was in the early 90s? I think they're very different issues. A financial crisis can't really be compared to a kind of security crisis or a law and order crisis. But I think probably what he was meaning to say in the sense was that, you know, the Swedish state, the Swedish government is as challenged as it was then. And there's a question about the ability of Sweden to reform itself. So there's a sort of sense that Sweden has been drifting somewhat. And I think the one thing that seems certain is that forming a government is going to be extremely difficult. After the elections, pretty much every option is on the table as a possibility. And so I think we're going to see Sweden's political system really challenged. How stable is Sweden's political system? Well, I think Sweden has been a byword for political stability, really. But I'm sure it's going to lose that. It did after the last elections to some extent in 2014. Within a few months, there was a threat of new elections. The Sweden Democrats looked like they were going to bring the government down. The government and the opposition found a kind of fairly unwieldy way to get around that. Pretty much everybody says it's going to be messy. You look at the possible outcomes neither the left nor the right are going to have a majority. And I think increasingly after the election, you'll have a thought of should Sweden go like Germany and have a grand coalition between the left and the right. The advantages of that in a sense are that there is really not that much difference between the main parties on the left and the right. But at the same time, I think it's an identity issue there for the parties, because if they get together, what is it that separates them anymore? So The build-up to the election has been fascinating, but I think the aftermath is going to be equally fascinating. Thank you very much, Richard. That was Patricia Nilsson talking to Richard Milne, the FT's Nordics correspondent. And if you'd like to read Richard's magazine article, you can find a link to it in our show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with more news next week, but in the meantime, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, take a look at our latest subscription offers at ft.com slash offer. The big thing that changed in 2007 was the launch of the iPhone. And so suddenly this went from a very niche problem in terms of working across multiple computers to a problem that soon billions of people would have. As corporations develop capabilities, you know, bots and new layers and layers on top of the internet, we were kind of left behind. (laughs) We became harvested instead. Most of our clients have between a half and three quarters of their revenue transacted over the telephone. So if we can nudge those numbers by 4, 5, 6%, it has a walloping impact on the bottom line. These sorts of adaptively learning autonomous systems are going to be needed when we eventually colonise the Moon and Mars as well. Is rapid technological development improving the world or is it making it spin out of control? Do you welcome apps and smart devices into your home or find the prospect alarming? Whether you're an early adopter or a technophobe, you'll find plenty to think about in our next series of FT Tectonic. You can find us on all the usual podcast platforms from the 5th of September.
Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.